0: Let's pray before I get started, and uh, because we're definitely going to need the Lord for this one, Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good and so kind to us, Lord. That you bring your presence, Lord, and you lead us, Lord, in a way of life. You teach us wisdom. You father us well. You lead us to victory. You lead us to an overcoming life. You impart to us healing. You give us eternal promise. All of these things, Lord, come from your goodness, from your grace. And so, Father, we submit ourselves to you for this moment. Pray, Father, that you will empower our communication. Lord, that you will touch each of our hearts today and lift us to a place of uh, victory, if you will, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to talk about God's holiness today a little bit. We've been talking about through fruit of the Spirit, uh, all these different things. And so I just think it would do well for us to understand when we look into this topic of God's holiness. Now, um, I'm going to give you some definitions and different things and qualified things. But it's a a kind of a difficult word to handle because because it means one simple thing, but it's so overwhelmingly huge that it's kind of hard to see it all. So I'm going to do my best to kind of hit a few few points and help you uh, comprehend what I'm trying to say. I'm going to have to trust the Lord for that. But uh, who am I? Who are we? Where's God taking me? They're all great questions. Sometimes I think it's good to be reminded of these big things. Uh, Like Joe, we can forget how big and how awesome God is and how wonderful his gift of life is. We can tend to kind of become myopic on our own circumstances and forget the larger picture of what he's doing. And so today I'm gonna attempt to raise the eyes to the beauty of the Lord. By contemplating his holiness and what it means to us today. I realize the mention of the word has power to invoke all kinds of negative emotional reactions. Perhaps you've been in uh, a place where where, you've been, where the word of God has been weaponized and has brought um, nothing but a deepening sense of shame, a failure, and those sort of things. But nothing could be further from the truth. And when we draw near to God, he delivers us from those things. And so that's quite, con- quite contrary to use the word of God in that way to manipulate or control people. You know, this, this word right here leads us to a, an effective relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's kind of, I have to think about that. You know, this is black ink on white pages got some red in it the real important stuff but basically what this does it's as less this is not a rule book for us to take this up and use it like a legal weapon is is quite wrong that's why we have so much disparity in the body of Christ because we do exactly that what this does is opens up the it opens up wisdom to us the Holy Spirit is the very wisdom of God that's given to us. And it opens up wisdom. That's why we 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 come we come hard with this word meta-narrative. There's one story of what God is doing in his world and what he created us for. And that that high context of the meta-narrative, that one single story, reveals the wisdom and the power of God and his effectual workings in the world. And so does that make sense? So anyway, we can have a lot of negative emotions when we talk about, well, what am I supposed to do? If I think about, I'm in the world and I'm bumping up against other people, what am I supposed to do You know, to be right? Now well, we're gonna to try to touch on that a little bit. Hopefully by God's grace, some here will be helped to a clearer understanding to others who may be gleefully enjoying a high level of self-righteousness Perhaps they'll find new joy in the wisdom of gaining a contrite spirit. The scriptures tell us that God dwells in the high places, He dwells above everything, but His place is also with the lowly and the contrite. He's with those who sense their need. So, first of all, what do we mean when we say the word holiness? As pertaining to God, this is kind of a definition, if you will. Holiness is the moral excellence of God that unifies his attributes and is expressed through his actions, setting him apart from all others. As to humans, the word is used to designate a state of being set apart for a sacred purpose. Now, when we think about, when we say the word holiness, it is it is not like we can break up the the, the the gifts of the, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and so forth, we can break those apart and look at each one, and we can kind of attribute certain things, and we can process information when we see this fruit manifest in our life, And but they're all one. They're not really broken apart. And so when we think about the holiness of God, his holiness is actually kind of an enveloping term that that, encompasses all that he is it's like he's the creator he is um transcendent which means he's above and separate from his creation he has uh, he is love he's unchanging he's perfect he's all-knowing and all-powerful he's all wise he's faithful and just he has all of this at once He does not come fractured or in pieces to us. When he comes to us in the form of his Holy Spirit, he he comes completely as one to us. He's not divided up. And so when we come to this place of receiving his Spirit, he comes in us, then his holiness comes with him. And so, like I said, As to humans, the word is used to designate a state of being set apart for a sacred purpose. Therefore, any state of holiness enjoyed by humans is imparted or imputed by the Lord. Any attempts deriving from corrupted human motivations to achieve a state of holiness is an affront to the character of our God. Those acts would be in direct competition with him. In other words, they'd be sin. If true morality is displayed in a human it comes as fruit of God's presence and grace it belongs to him alone so if we're looking at our Christianity as some kind of moral code that we adhere to we behave a certain way and therefore we are identified (laughs) you see we made the club we've completely missed the point we really have and so and actually to, to live in that way is to act in a self-righteous manner and it actually puts you in competition with God. Now that sounds horrible, but God is kind and He's loving and He's pretty patient. And so there's lots of grace for Him to do work in that place. And so we can, so we can find this, we can find healing no matter where we are, even if, we've, even if we're participating in that type of a mindset. This is his holiness and what we benefit from when he shares himself, his holiness with us. When he, is, when he revealed his name to Moses, uh, Yahweh, he was actually making a declaration about his holiness, that encompassing totality of who he is because his name means I am who I am, or I am who I will be. When Jesus said I am, he was also declaring and taking on, making a statement about that fullness, deity in him which is what the scripture says in him the fullness of deity dwell so God's holiness is established in his character his nature and his authority there's no moral ambiguity in his integrity he is the standard of purity the Apostle John likes to use the word light to describe his holiness and purity Uh, 1st John 1 5 says this is the message we have heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light And there is no darkness in him at all. Peter also gives us encouragement on how we're to respond to his holiness. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. So how we hear that is kind of different. We're thinking well I have to be morally perfect. You know that's not true. What it means is is simple separation. Is, is when we say yes to Jesus, we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now we live in a place of perpetual fellowship with the Holy Spirit once we say yes. And so what do we do to gain that simple faith and trust? That's what it is. I could go on and tell you stories. I mean, this, this is huge all through the scripture. I've, I, that, that's the intimidating part for me is like, what in the world do I talk about to bring this down a little bit? But if you stop and think about, like Abraham, uh, just real quick. Abraham's just out, I don't know, make, having a barbecue one day. And all of a sudden, Yahweh shows up with the two angels. They sit down on a stump and, and the Lord just has a conversation with, with Abraham. <laughs> you know, there's no burning bush, there's no fire, there's, no, there's nothing. There's just all of a sudden... Yahweh shows up. That's what it says. It says, Yahweh said. I mean, that's who's there. And so, which is kind of interesting. But when he shows up to Moses, which we'll talk about a little bit in a minute, when he shows up to Moses, he shows up in a bush and he makes this declaration about holy ground. Why is that? What's the difference between Moses and, and Abraham? Abraham, by what the scriptures show us, God just said, Come out from among your people and come out into the wilderness. And he just did it. What a simple thing. That's all he did was pack his gear up and take off. And and so what a high stop and think about the level of faith and trust in that. He's a pretty wealthy man. His economy is connected, you know, to the to the place where he is, the city, and Ur. He comes out of there and he just wanders in the wilderness. He stays in the wilderness. Unlike Lot, who later on goes down into Sodom. Abraham always prefers to stay out in the wilderness and he wanders all the days of his life. And what that communicates, or what the scriptures are saying to you, is that he was a man of faith. Whether he acted it out, whether he acted it out perfectly or not, he had a high level of trust in God. He wrestled with God, but the whole thing is is that faith and trust actually made the way, if you will, for Yahweh to come and sit on a log with him and be present with Abraham, (laughs) with Abram at the time. But anyway, you you follow my thinking? But with Moses, there was something else that had to happen. And when we follow the story of Moses, we can see that, yes, Moses was willing, but he was constantly questioned, constantly constantly struggling in this trust place with the Lord. And even to the point where it's manifest from his heart, where he strikes the rock twice and is prevented from entering the... is prevented from entering the... uh, promised land because of it and so we see this this element there's there's these elements in Moses and and Abraham that are different and that'll kind of come to bear on some of the things that I'm going to say here in just a bit both Peter both John Peter along with Jesus Paul and James give a strong encouragement to embrace and respond to God's call to holiness or separation why The entire meta-narrative of Scripture reveals to us the full counsel of God's wisdom in guiding his creation to its desired conclusion. That being a perfected and matured world to serve as his temple for himself and his people. With the introduction of sin, an attempt to gain an independent life from God, came competition and a challenge to God's holy nature, all that he is. It became an affront. There was competition now that came in. This corrupting element within God's good, good creation must be met with judgment. The good solution is death. I'm going to try to talk slow. The good solution was death. (laughs) It's just like, what? Death is not good. (laughs) Death separates me from my loved ones. and, And it feels a little threatening, you know. But his, his solution, now let's not forget, we're talking about God and his holiness and he is good. He is good all the time. He is never not good. All the things that he does are right, true, just, and good. The good solution is death. Let me remind you, God's judgment and goodness cannot be uncoupled Like I said, he comes as one. He comes all together. His judgment and his goodness cannot be uncoupled. They come together. Everything he does must be good. All right, we find ourselves in some tall grass now. To the human, now darkened and separated from intimacy with God through spiritual death, which ultimately leads to mortality, death is a terror. It's a crippling, inescapable terror. but to God and to those who live in his light, it is a tool of process that takes us from weakness and incompleteness to holiness and true humanity. Death becomes a tool of process in the believer. We should be delivered from the fear of death. Because at the moment you said yes and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you were translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And you received eternal life, life as God has it. Heaven and earth have come together in you, in me, in this place. This is holy ground because Jesus is at least in my heart, I'm sure of that. And I think he's in yours too. And all of us together as a community, we become a holy dwelling place, and his holiness is here with us, in us. We are holy. Because of His presence with us. and with that comes everything that He is. The possibility of God to do a work in the midst of us is no, it's, just, it's not even a difficult thing. He can do what He wants to do. He can heal us in, this, in any instant. He can change our minds. He has an amazing way of changing our minds, of transforming our thoughts through the foolish, foolishness of preaching, even you can hear something that can change your entire course of life today that's amazing he's god present with us is holiness dangerous yes and no we're talking about the presence of god the whole the totality of who he is is he dangerous yes and no. (laughs) First, to any corrupting element that comes into his presence in an unauthorized way, there is swift and certain judgment. In other words, death. This shouldn't surprise us as we've already spoke about it. Here, to the unbeliever in Jesus, uh, here, to the unbeliever in Jesus provision for us, the wrath of God becomes a shield of sorts to provide time and process to that lost soul to find faith. Now that one's a tough one. I started to Look into that one and I'm thinking, when, when I say the word wrath, what do you think about? You think about like this outrageous rage that breaks out, right? Like a, like a, a, a flurry of a fist fight maybe or something. But his wrath is filled, God's wrath is filled with desire. It's filled with a hunger for righteousness and justice. When God is expressing his wrath, he is setting a boundary A corrective boundary for you for the world for the unbelievers for those that need his life he is setting a strong boundary there and it's it's uh, think of like the cherubim at the at the garden with their flaming swords so they can't cross over they can't enter in there's a separation but what we miss in that story is that God actually follows him out (laughs) He's out present with them. He follows them out. Just like in the book of Ezekiel, if you want, for you Bible scholars, you'll understand what that's exactly what the vision of Ezekiel's chariot is about, is that the glory has departed Jerusalem, but it followed him into Babylon. It's, a, it's just another way of saying the same thing that happened at the garden. So there's this wrath of God becomes a shield to provide time and process. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of him that everyone should find his grace in life. But if we continually resist his grace, if, if, there's this, if you just cross over and we're into a place of I will not, then God's holiness becomes a danger to you, that rebellion. And he can ramp up the heat in his love and grace. He can ramp up the heat a little. <laughs> but nevertheless, even in his anger, there's this incredible passion of love that's driving him. If you want to read more about that or understand it, you can see a beautiful picture of it in Hosea, chapter 11, where God is ready to judge his people, but he has this incredible turning in his heart. He goes, oh, I would just, just, destroy, just destroy him, but my compassion is just leaking out. And so with wrath, what we get is, here's Jesus sitting at a table with some Pharisees, and there's a man with a withered hand there, And they're looking to see if he's gonna heal the man. Well, of course he's gonna heal him. Our God is a healing God. What can he do? He gotta heal. (laughs) And so he's looking across, but it says, and Jesus looking across at them in wrath. And so think about what I'm saying. What he is desiring is for them to come to repent. So he heals the man. Right in front of them. He reveals his goodness right in their very presence. But yet, you see it? Anyway, before the cross of Christ, God provided living living examples of how humans should respond to his holiness with great respect. And this is the point. Think of Moses and the bush. Or of the temple and the priesthood. So we get Moses... We get Moses and he's walking along and all of a sudden there's a bush that, and it's burning and he goes, hmm, a burning bush. I've not seen anything like that. And so he walks up to it and then the Lord speaks to him. He goes, Moses, get the shoes off of your feet. Where you're standing is holy ground. God's presence, like I've been saying, brings the holiness of God. And so he takes his shoes off and Moses bows down and what that is is to bring Moses to a place of attention, to hear to listen, to pay attention. God is actually imparting grace to Moses at this point in time to open his ears and to bring himself down and to receive something from God. Is it uncomfortable for Moses? Probably. Probably a little uncomfortable for him. When we think about the temple and the priesthood, we know the stories of how they'd tie the rope on the feet of the priest and he would walk in. And that had to do with some ceremonial... uh, infraction if they didn't do the ritual cleansings, which I'll just gonna chat just a second about, but if they didn't do the ritual cleansings, then the priest was in the threat walking in. Now why would God be so harsh in that? You know, he's got his holy presence in the Holy of Holies. There's a temple, it's the presence of God and these are his chosen people. He's got a priest that's all set up, but if the priest comes in and doesn't Doesn't do the proper ritual things so, yeah, his, his presence can be threatening. <laughs> you know, he can, he can, and why would that be important? God shows us that ritual, prayer, the, through the ritual purity laws found in Leviticus, how to, how to separate clean from unclean, life from death, things that produce life from things that produce or touch death. So what God is trying to do is bring a testimony of life to live. A life that is apart from Christ is a path that eventually comes undone. And so those activities that are done in that, the motivations and stuff, are unclean. They touch death. They're driven in this place of corruption and spiritual death. And we keep holding on to that. We're trying to hold on to that, make, and trying to squeeze life out of it somehow. So we build bigger houses, bigger barns. Uh, we uh, put on, <clears throat> we put on our best face, if you will. We do all these religious activities and so forth and so on to try to promote ourselves up, <coughs> to look good, to be worthy. But all of that stuff, as the scripture tells us, is like filthy rags. There's nothing, there's nothing in it. So the whole point of what God is trying to do, and you have to remember that ancient Israel, was they, they went through these things. They were never going to be able to come to, to wholeness under the law. That was the point, we find out in Romans. They were never supposed to be able to be faithful. But what God did was using them as a testimony. And now, unless we think, that God is unjust in that, like that seems kind of bad, you know, why do I get to be the example? You know, that's like the one Jewish guy, you know, that says, you know, I know we're the chosen people, but maybe God could choose someone else for a while. And <laughs> but the point is, is that God hasn't forgotten his promises. So we have this beautiful chapter, all Israel shall be saved. God will be faithful. And so, yes, in their sufferings, God remembers. So we have this thing of touching death. Why would this be so important? Humans living in a corrupt world system and a weakened earth are given over to toil and hardship. They lose all possibility of the vision, of the goodness of the one true God. You only need to look at various idolatrous religions that man conjured up as their best guess as to how to appease unknowable gods. They took their best shot. But we're always working from a place of death, a place of spiritual death. Until Jesus came and made God known to us, That was our condition. That was the human condition. To Israel, all the rituals, sacrificial ordinances, and celebrations given were good gifts, given to help us find our way to God's life-giving, life-affirming goodness. Every one of them, each and every one, was an act of love on his part. In Isaiah 61, verse 7, we better push through here a little bit. It was the year that King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each one having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah, it's all over, I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips, and with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. And so here's, here's Isaiah somewhat pious Jew. And all of a sudden he has this vision of God in his holiness and this heavenly being flies over with these tongs and touches his lips with the coal and pronounces to him, now you're, now you're cleansed. And <laughs> it's, not this, it's not about the seraphim, it's not about the tongs, it's not about the coal, it's about the fire. Isaiah experiences God's goodness. In the presence of his goodness, he sees, he becomes aware of his own lack, his own impurity. When we draw near to God, I've heard this testimony a thousand times. Anyone who has been seriously uh, serious in their faith and draw near to God, you have this sense when his presence comes near you, you have this sense of humility that comes upon you, and like Isaiah, but the fire, this this Old Testament prophet, his lips are cleansed, he's never the same, he's, assuming we put our trust in Jesus, we've been cleansed, we've been forgiven, we've been filled with God's Holy Spirit, we have been delivered from judgment and made alive by the Spirit when we receive. We have received eternal life as God has promised, and we have been set apart to share in God's holiness to advance in the healing of the entire world by extending his holy presence. In a way, one could almost say we have become the coals of cleansing so needed by those under an eternal death sentence. And so like Isaiah of old, when the Holy Spirit comes to us, Jesus says, oh, I have longed for fire, to salt the earth with fire. This is what he was talking about. When the coming of the Holy Spirit comes, The the symbol of fire is always about the purity and power and holiness, the refining fire of God is what it's about. And so when the Spirit of God has come to us, it's no wonder, like in Acts, when the Spirit came, that flames appeared above them, what seemed like flames. This was for a testimony, but this is the truth of what has happened to us. And so we carry that fire within us. And when we live and move and have our being in Him, when we draw near to God, we become, we can have that effect. Because haven't you figured out that corruption breeds more corruption? But the presence of God brings healing and life. And that's what happened. God's holiness, his, his totality of who he is, touched Isaiah and changed him. And God's Holy Spirit has touched us and changed us. Obedience to Jesus is the way of holiness. When we live by the Spirit in submission to the Father, we find an ever-increasing experience of faith, trust, and love. Simple obedience. Just do the things that he says. It seems so simple in our discipleship. You know, we go to great lengths uh, to um, help teach people. But the simple thing is, is if we can stand next to him and Help them process their conflicts with wisdom and support, love, encouragement. They find healing. Obedience, to teach, them, to teach us, to teach one another. Since God has given us his Holy Spirit, we have proof that he has adopted us and he's now our true father. He's not like our earthly fathers. He is good and always works for our benefit. He always meets us according to our eternal need. Here we see the goal of of his discipline toward us. He is leading us away from corruption and to the beauty and power of his own integrity, Christ's likeness The difficulty of these disciplines is harder at first. His ways are so different than ours, but as we grow in respect and wisdom, the disciplines become quite welcome. His goodness becomes so rich to our hearts that we we come to welcome his judgments. Knowing the rich blessing of his peace and provision, We become confident in the power of his love to heal and overcome evil around us, in and around us. The fruit of God's presence in us is strongly reflected to those around us. We flourish in peace, even in the presence of suffering. Hope explodes in our hearts as we begin to see the end of his work in a very real way, a renewed earth perfectly joined with heaven. The whole creation becomes the home of God, resplendent with the full expression of his holiness, where his goodness has swallowed up death itself, along with all the corruption of sin. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. This is what it's about. Simple yielding. What are the works? The works are to believe in Jesus. If you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, it's just as simple as that. Saying, I say yes to you, Jesus, come. (laughs) It's that simple. God doesn't make it difficult. But know this. When he comes in, he is going to change you. He is not going to leave you in your state of pitifulness, in your brokenness. He's going to continually be drawing you more closer 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 he's going to establish people around you to help mirror who you are who you are who they are he calls us to love ever anybody ever tried that one I'm gonna just love everybody today Jesus and you'll have you set yourself up for a miserable day because it's all about just resting just resting in him and just being present with people it couldn't be simpler just being present trying to establish this place of sacred space between us, if we're holding people in judgment or if our pain and our, and our sin is so overwhelming to us where we're like Joe, just frazzled and beyond at the end of ourselves, you know, what can we do? We can only, it, it just, it's, it's hopeless, but what we can do, though, is we can just be present. We can be present to God. We can be present to one another. His Holy Spirit has assured that. And there's this beautiful thing that happens. Now, what I want to say is at times when God is dealing with your heart, there can be some level of emotional pain and resistance. Our, our, safe, our, feel, our place of feeling safe becomes threatened as he begins to open us up to something. And it's always a little uncomfortable. It is. It's just like Peter... Uh, When he came in contact with Jesus in the boat, I passed over that. I left it out for time's sake. But Peter says, depart from me, Lord. Depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says to him, come follow me. Isn't that simple? Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, Peter, he needed something different to do. He was a terrible fisherman. Every time I see him in the scripture, he never catches anything until Jesus shows up. But think of the life that Peter got because he said yes and followed Jesus. Think of what happened with him. Amazing, amazing life that God brought him into. And that's for you and for me. Each one of us, if we'll just say yes, if we'll we'll just say yes and let him take us through our pains, take us through our sufferings, take us through the difficulties in our life and our trials, if we'll just say yes, And learn to relax and rest in him. He'll bring us through. He will show his power and healing. And so we'll find ourselves in the place of transformation. And that's why this is important. We're set apart from the world. For this work. And then what happens in our transformed life? Something happens. Something issues out of us. This testimony. All this fruit of the spirit issues out of us. When we simply follow him. And that's what true holiness is. There's no code. It's only life. A wise and present life. That's what it is. That's all it is. I got a book of profundity my friend Alan wrote. He didn't write it. Janice wrote it. (laughs) Alan said this. You don't have to do something to be holy. You will be. (laughs) I love that just the simplicity of it it's so true it's so true and so let's close let's just wait upon the Lord for a moment Holy Spirit there are those among us Lord that are afraid of you those among us that are uncomfortable with what you might say or do in their life. I pray for your grace to go to that one right now. Lord, that you would touch that heart and that there would be a revelation of your goodness, yes. a revelation of your healing power. Lord, for the one who's, who's got a great challenge that seems to be overwhelming to him, you're the God of the impossible. Father, I pray that you would speak courage into their lives. To those struggling with afflictions, with sickness in their body. You're the one who heals, Lord. We have nothing to offer, but your presence heals us. You heal everything you touch. I pray that you touch those that are sick in their body today. In the name of Jesus, and by your power. Let your holy presence rise among us today. Touch us, lead us, heal us. Make us one. Bring us into the place of unity. Father, help our fractured selves, Lord, to come into the place of rest in you. Allow our opinions, Lord, to just wither away in the fire of your presence. Lord, where we see your hand moving, where we can see what you're doing just like the wind blows help us to be conscious of those things that you're doing in each one around us Lord make us more acutely aware of your presence with us and with one another Lord for the one who is struggling with even believing and trusting Lord break that wall of darkness allow the revelation of your great love to come to their heart that they could draw near and be healed. We give you thanks for it all in the name of Jesus.